Corinthians chapter 15 says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Anybody need to be changed? Man, come on. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen. The power of the resurrection is so real, you guys. Come on, have a seat. Have a seat. We're shifting things up a little bit this morning. Sometimes I just got, Megan does this with our home. She'll like rearrange furniture about every six months or so. I'll come in and like bump things and knock things over because she's changed where things are. She's like, I just need a change of scenery. What's wrong? Jerry has to leave at 11, just an FYI. Jerry's got to leave at 11? Man. Oh. All right, well, either he stays or we pray for the Holy Spirit to impart drumming on it, to impart drumming on it. We're, we're, we're flipping things. I know, I'm sorry. I didn't communicate this very well. I came into the last minute and told our team, hey, by the way, we're flipping things around. I want to teach on the front end and worship on the, on the second end. And they rolled with that. And then I said, oh, by the way, can we also do glorious day at the beginning? And they rolled with that too. Flexibility is the name of the game when you're building churches. All right, good morning. Welcome to you. Beautiful people. Y'all look like you are, 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 are just alive with the light of Christ today. Isn't it good? All right. A couple things that I want to do um, this morning. I want to share with you some, uh, just some of the details of my time overseas uh, with our team. I've got some, some things I want to show you here. And I want to kind of let that segue a little bit just into a couple things on my heart about what the Lord is saying to us and to our church, um, and then we're going to roll into just some prayer time, some ministry time, worship time on the back end. Does that sound good to you guys? Okay, you got to stay with me though, because we're going to be—I'm going to be telling like the highlights of one of the highlights of my year. I'm excited about it, you know. And then we're going to get into the Word. So um, go and get your Bibles out though, but you won't need them yet. I want to tell you a little bit about my time in. Nepal. I've never been to Nepal. I've never been to Asia. I've never been to that side of the world. I once, many, many years ago, I went to the United Kingdom, to UK, uh, and that's it. That was the sum of my mission experience for 25 years until I had an invitation to go um, with City for the Nations and some friends from Lexington, and I jumped on that. Some of you supported that. Thank you, those of you that helped make that possible. It was beautiful. I want to tell you a little bit about that. Um, and then I want to give you five of my takeaways from that trip, things that, that the Lord has sort of impressed on me during the time of, of processing this together. Um, Emma, pull up that first slide if you would. I want to tell you a little bit about religion. In First of all, this is a map of, of Nepal. Um, if you're not familiar with it, Nepal sits 
on the northern side of India. India is a very, very large nation. You know, you can't miss it. If you go north, uh, Nepal is fairly small. It's about the area of the state of Florida and about the population of the state of Florida. And it sits between India on the north and China. Uh, it's, it's just to the south of China. So it's between these two, um, these two places. It is almost entirely in the mountains, either the Himalayas or the foothills of the Himalayas. If you were to look at an aerial photograph of the, of the topography of Nepal, you would see that much of India, especially on, on this part here, is sort of flat plains and plateaus. And almost right, right when it turns into Nepal, it turns into foothills and it turns into the Himalayan mountains right up here. So almost the entire, the entire country is, is, is either in foothills or actively in mountains. It's pretty wild. And what we call, what, what, what we call mountains here, they would call foothills or whatever. You know, our, our largest Appalachian mountains would be very small to them. So, um, okay, go to this next slide here, Emma. Uh, the religion, there are 29 million people in Nepal. The majority of them would be practicing Hindu. And you see that everywhere. You see Hindu dress. You see the, the, the I don't even know what the term is, the dot there on the forehead for devout Hindus. You see many, many Hindu shrines all scattered throughout both the cities and even just out on the roads of, of villages. Um, 9% would be Buddhist. One of the things that you encounter whenever you step off of the plane and come into the... the, um, the uh, the airport of Kathmandu is a statue of Lord Buddha and the sign announcing that Nepal is the birthplace of Lord Buddha. So they are proud of that. Despite that claim to fame, 9% are Buddhist, 4.5% would be Muslim. What they say officially is about 1.4% are Christian. That figure is likely very, very low. They just, they, they feel that the official government sort of downplays the, the amount of Christians and um, sort of overinflates the number of Hindus there. Uh, that's, that's likely a lot more um, Christians in, in Nepal. All right, go to this next one, Em, if you would. Christianity in Nepal, it is one of the world's fastest growing churches I believe right now the statistic is Iran has the fastest growing church, but it wasn't very many years ago. I think in 2013, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary did a, a study of this, and they determined that, that, that the Nepali church, at least eight years ago, was the fastest growing church in the world at a rate of about, at the time in 2013, at about 10% per year. So it's pretty, pretty, pretty phenomenal growth. Uh, the churches and the Christianity in Nepal is largely charismatic or Pentecostal. And because of that, what they found is that prayer-based healing is a major factor in conversion and the spread of the church. And I, I sort of discovered this. I would you know, talk to some of our leaders there about, hey, this church that we're going to, what's their denomination? And, well, they don't really have a denomination, you know, they're just... They're, they're just going after the word. I said, well, you know, will they be okay if we, you know, lay hands and pray and do it? And they're like, oh, yeah, they're all into that. They, they do this all the time. He said, you got to remember, these are, these are believers who are surrounded with, um, with practices of witchcraft and other things in the Hindu religion. So they have no choice but to engage in sort of the, the power gifts and the signs and wonders in, in spiritual warfare. So uh, prayer-based prayer healing is a major factor in conversion. Many um, you'll, 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 you can hear many stories about 
um, villages coming to the faith because uh, a, a sick individual in their village who just after not finding healing from the local witch doctor would encounter healing somehow, either from a believer or for a missionary, that individual would receive the healing of the Lord, would become, would come to the faith, and it would spread like wildfire in that village. So we're, we're finding that that's, that's a major factor in conversion. Um, it's currently illegal to proselytize. It's illegal to, um, to try and actively convert someone to the faith. Nepal, after a lengthy civil war and a change in their constitution, became a secular, officially a secular, so they didn't persecute Christians, so it's not illegal to be a Christian. There are many churches with signs and public gatherings and and all of that, Um, but it is illegal to proselytize, to try and convert. And there's also intense persecutions in many parts of Nepal, not so much in the urban areas, but in rural areas, especially to the south, to the south where it borders with India. There are a lot of Hindu extremism, um, and because of that, there's some very intense persecution that happens uh, against the Christian churches there in the south. Uh, I mentioned a population of about 29 million. We estimate that 28 million in Nepal are still unreached with the gospel. Um, As of about five years ago, there were 57 unengaged people groups. Let me define a couple things for you. A people group is is a group of people who are differentiated by language or culture. We don't have a lot of people groups in America. You know, most of us all speak English. Maybe you'll have Spanish. But in, in, in other countries around the world, you can have thousands of different people groups all in one country. A small group of, hey, here's you know, two or three villages that are all different. They all speak this different dialect, and they have these different cultures and these different customs. You know, and 20 kilometers away, you may have an entirely different people group. So there have been thousands of people groups um, sort of all throughout Asia. In, in 2016-17, they had engaged. Engaged means to have presented the gospel in some form. They have had an encounter with a missionary. They've heard, they've seen a Jesus film, whatever that is. Um, Up until 2017, there were all of the people groups except 57 had been engaged with the gospel in Nepal. Since 2017, that number of 57 has been reduced now to zero. So that means within the last four, you know, within the last five years, the church in Nepal has engaged every people group in their nation. That doesn't mean every person. It just means every distinct people group. Um, So in about 2017, a local missions organization called City for the Nations, many of you are familiar with City for the Nations. Um, we, we, We partner with uh, with them. Uh, many of you have been involved with them. City for the Nations sort of sponsored Nepal, um, and Lexington sponsored Nepal as, as, a, as, as sort of a sister group that we want to engage with. And um, so they began sort of mobilizing teams and doing training and sending money and resources. Um, and since 2017, because of City for the Nations and many of these efforts from Lexington, those 57 unengaged people groups have been, have been reached. So all the people groups are engaged, but there are still many, 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 as I pointed out, millions and millions of people that, are not, that have been unreached with the gospel, that are just not believers. 
Um, I'll tell you a little bit about what, what the purpose of this trip was, but of the 85,000 villages in Nepal, 75,000 of them have not been reached with the gospel. No one has gone to, the, to some of these villages and, and presented the gospel. 85,000 total, only 10,000 of them have a Christian church or a body of believers in those villages. So there's good news and there's heavy, heavy news in these statistics. Um, okay, I want to show you some, some photos from, from the trip and tell you a little bit about. So, so anyway, uh, I was invited to go with, with Miles and a, and a team of others from, from Lexington and from other, some other states. We left on Thursday night, the 30, 30th or so, 31st of April. We flew um, a very, very long route, ended up in Kathmandu on, on Sunday. And that began um, sort of a twofold purpose to this trip. One of those was uh, some training for some local or, or some national church leaders, um, training them on how to make and replicate disciples in their own districts. There's seven districts across uh, Nepal, and these would be leaders from each of those seven districts. Uh, so we were training them. Here's how you multiply disciples. Here's how you take, you know, your two people in your church and, and multiply them out. Go to the next slide, Emma. Is it blank? All right. This is our team from, uh, from, from, from Lexington and around. Um, many of these people were from City for the Nations. Um, this is Pastor Mukhtar Somana. He is from Niger. He's a, the Niger, Nigerian leader of City for the Nations. This is Shay, who is from a different missions organization. Neil and Lauren, uh, Neil and Lauren Heffelbauer from Church of the Savior. Larry Frick uh, from City for the Nations. Daniel White is a business leader here in the area. Luke Long Miles from City for the Nations. And this, the second one over from the right is uh, Bhuvan. Um, is he's the director of Nepal for City for the Nations. So this was our team when we went over. Go to the next slide, if you would, babe. Okay, so um, go to the one that says DMM training. Emma, can you do you see the titles there? It's blank. Lovely. Okay, that's all right. So we spent, we spent two days doing some training with these, these seven or eight, these, uh, it's more than that, probably eight, nine or 10, 11 or so of these pastor leaders training and equipping them. Uh, it's beautiful to watch that. On sort of, by the middle of the week, we shifted into the primary purpose of this trip, and that was a Great Commission Congress that's been scheduled for, uh, for three or f- two or three years. Marcy, does that sound right? Two or three years or so? this Great Commission Congress. This was a gathering of nearly 300 Nepali leaders, missionaries, American uh, Anglo missionaries that were living in Nepal, representatives from, you know, International Missions Board with the Baptist, um, YWAM, a lot of other missionaries who were serving in Nepal. This was a gathering of everyone who had a a vested interest in the kingdom of Nepal um, to one place for three days. Why don't you stop and think about that? Many denominations, many different kind of churches, many different organizations all gathered in one place to talk about the Great Commission. That's a miracle in itself. I can't see that happening in the U.S. We're just so territorial. And, but in Nepal, they all came together for three days. And what, what had been happening is they had spent the last several years surveying and mapping out the nation 
village by village to identify, is there a church presence in this village? In a village, maybe 100 people, maybe 2,000 people. But village by village, many times on foot or on motorcycle, going to these individual places and finding out, is there a church, is there a believing church here? Is there a even a single believer here, making a note of that, coming back, gathering all of that data, presenting it up sort of on this Great Bay map and saying, here is the state of the Great Commission in Nepal. Not only that, but also now mobilizing these 300 individuals to take responsibility for this. Not just saying, yeah, we're going we're gonna to be Great Commission, but specifically, hey, you know what? Me and my organization, we're going to take District 1. There's... there's 11,000 villages there, we're going to be responsible for those 11,000 villages in the next three years. The International Missions Board, you guys are going to be responsible. Maybe I'm oversimplifying, but you get the idea. Essentially, we're going to identify where the villages are, and we're going to make sure that we've got somebody that says, yes, I will be responsible for those. And by the end of that three-day summit, there was a commitment to reach the remaining 75,000 villages in Nepal. That was unheard of. It was, power, it was a powerful, powerful time. Emma, are there any of those pictures up there from um, Congress 1 or Congress 2? Do you see any of those? I think they failed to upload this morning when I was uploading them because they were large. Okay, so that, that was an exciting. That was really the highlight of, of, of why, why City for the Nation was going, was to kind of pull this together. This has been three years in, in the works now. Now there's a plan to engage the remaining villages of this nation. That's a big deal. That's a big deal to say we've got, we've got eyes on 75,000 villages and we're going to make this happen in the next three years. So I was observing all of this. I got to participate, you know, I got to sort of just watch and meet many of these, many of these leaders. Um, I also... On, on two days, three or four of us were able to go and to sort of share and encourage some of the churches in villages outside of Kathmandu on, on, um, on Thursday, myself and three others and a translator, we took a two-hour car ride to the west about 60 kilometers, two and a half hours, 60 kilometers. Tells you about the state of the roads. To a small, to a small gathering there, this was um, Pastor James had a church. Are there, if there's no, are there any pictures of any of them, Emma? This, these were, okay, see so yeah, how this is, is there, is there another one that shows the interior of the building or no? See if you can flip through, Okay. This is the inside of Pastor James' church, brick, tin roof, mostly open, kind of a close shot. Pastor James is over seven churches, um, and this was a church that before COVID might have 100, 120 or so in there. When we gathered, uh, m- m- many of the men were at work, so it was mostly women. Um, go back to this group of girls here, and the first one. This was their worship leaders, their worship team. And we, we would often see this in many of the churches we would go to, that the worship leadership was resting strongly upon young adults. They would have guitars. They would, even in the most remote village, they'd have guitars, they'd have drums, they'd have a keyboard. I have no idea where they get electricity from it. They would just be going at it. You know, it was powerful. Um, and, and, you know, the Lord really had a word for these four or five girls here that, 
Um, somebody has a shirt on. Who has a worship warrior shirt? Does somebody have that on today, Lydia? Jim has it on. Okay, worship. The Lord, the Lord had that word for these five that what they were doing was, um, was, of, was of profound significance in that village in terms of warfare, tearing down strongholds, equipping the saints. We were able to encourage them, able to preach to them as well. Go, back, go to that other prayer picture as well. And we just had a powerful time of prayer. This is sort of a, a really poor <laughs> photograph of it. Um, but just the people were so deeply engaged with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It was really, really a beautiful time. Um, and their church has been growing. Many of these churches are just are growing exponentially with each passing year, with each passing month. More and more are coming to the faith. As I mentioned, Pastor James, he was sick when we, um, when we arrived. He believed it was witchcraft. We were able to pray over him um, several times. And honestly, when, like, when we were eating lunch at this church, he was just having to lay in his bed. He has got like, a little cot in a little room off the side, and he was just laying there. And we were able to just go and lay hands on him and pray over him for a while. And um, he's text, he's mess, Facebook messaged me a number of times just about the difference that he's feeling since that encounter. And the Lord has really blessed him and, and lifting him up. Um, so there's many of those churches... That was on Thursday. We we're also able to go on Friday and see if you can, is there another picture that says village, village church or something like that? Flip on through. Let me just see what's up here. Okay. All right. So uh, there's another photograph. I'll post these on, on King's Church group. If you, haven't, if you haven't seen them, they may still be in there. Of another church that we visited on Friday. Um, closer to, to, to Kathmandu. The interior, it was really more of a chicken shed. Uh, their, their, their church building was destroyed in the earthquake in 2015. Um, and by church building, I really just mean a cinder block building that's maybe 25 feet wide by 50 feet. Um, so we're meeting in a, in a sort of a chicken house, low wood ceiling, open slats, plastic chairs all set up. Um, and we were just able to go and, and, and encourage them and pray for him as well. He's got four or five buildings that were all destroyed in the earthquakes that he's trying to rebuild. And it's one of the things he asked prayer for is just the means to rebuild some of these churches. Um, on Saturday, we sort of, as we, as we were wrapping up, we we're leaving Saturday night, we had an opportunity to go and to minister to a local church in Kathmandu, Pastor Hemlal's church, Pastor Himlaw was very deeply connected with City for the Nations there. Uh, he's the one who, his church hosted some of the training sessions earlier in the week. And um, he, he had been really been looking forward to, um, to having someone come and minister and, and preach at his church. They, their Sabbaths are on, sun, on Saturdays, not Sundays. So Saturdays, you know, about 10, 10.30 or so is when they gather for church. And they wanted someone from the American team to come and, and to preach and to minister. And uh, they, they've been praying and fasting for about two weeks leading up, uh, leading up to this event. Um, and several of us went on, on Saturday morning. And again, many, many young adults there. Many young adults leading the worship. It was very powerful, very powerful to hear songs that I knew melodically um, but hearing them in their own Nepali language. So um, we, we, we shared the word with them, with the translator, which is challenging because your rhythm is off. You say a phrase and you wait for them to translate it. And 
Um, but after that, but sort of in that, in that service though, the Holy Spirit broke in and brought about 45 minutes of just uninterrupted ministry from the Holy Spirit and worship and prayer. And it was like, and the Nepali people are not an emotional people. They're very restrained, normally very restrained, you know, but to see just grown women just weeping on the ground, to see grown men just with their arms up, just weeping and crying out to the Lord, to see these young adults just so powerfully touched, you know, just have testimonies of healing um, and deliverance, and to see the see Pastor Hemlaw then get up and just, you know, like I poured my guts out, and after about 40 minutes, I was done. Like, I got to sit down. Pastor Hemlaw, he's not done. He's like, He's just going at it for another 45 minutes or so. You know, just wave after wave of the Holy Spirit just coming in and moving. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a very, very powerful experience to see what God is doing there. Um, and so we returned. I'm processing, I'm processing much of that, you know, even on the, on, on, on the return flight. You know, many of us just talking through about, about what's, what's happening and what the Lord is doing. And I want to share some takeaways from that with you. Um, and, and some, some verses that are kind of going to connect. Is there, there is a video. I'll show that if you have that, Emma. It's just maybe 30 seconds or so. They're getting warmed up. They weren't, they weren't even doing anything yet. They were just, they were just stretching. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and I've always been aware that, that, that many times what, what missions does is it changes your perspective, you know, about, about worry. And that, that always happens anytime. Those of you that have been, you know, you always come back with a perspective change, you know. So I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm aware that, that but... I'm also, I'm also got a glimpse from the Lord as to just what the Spirit is doing around the world and how nearsighted we can be here. So let me, let me give you some takeaways from this. Here's the first one, and I do have these up. The, the first takeaway is this, the task is unfinished. And that's an obvious thing. If the task were finished, we wouldn't be here. We would be with Jesus. He would come back and he would be calling us all home, but he's not coming back because the task is unfinished. Um, There are, of the world's population, what's roughly 9 billion people, a third of those are believers. That's the largest religious group on the face of the planet is the Christian church. Roughly a third, roughly three billion would be believers. Another third would be people that have heard the gospel but are not believers. This would describe many, not all, but many in America. Some of your friends and neighbors and relatives who grew up in church and just said, nope, not for me. That's about a third of human beings on this planet. And that leaves about another third of people that 
are not believers, nor have they heard the gospel or had any engagement with the gospel whatsoever. They have no concept, no idea apart from natural revelation, you know, who, who Jesus is or, or what, what the gospel is. 97% of that group, the unreached people, 97% are in an area of the world that we call the 1040 window. If you were to take a line, if you were to sort of, you know, if you can imagine the equator like a belt that goes around the center of the globe, and you know how the lines of latitude go above it and below it, and you know, each of those lines has a number, right? Um, that first major line up is, is the 10th, 10th degree latitude, and then below it is the 40th degree latitude. So these two lines around the globe that window, the 1040 window, 10th and 40th, that 1040 window comprising mostly, um, mostly Africa and Asia, that's where 97% of the unreached people in the world live. Most of them are not in sub-Saharan Africa. Most of them are not in South America or in Mexico or anywhere else. They're in that window. Um, but what we found is that less than 1% of missionaries are engaging with unreached people groups. So that means if we had 99 people here and all of you said, I want to be a missionary, I want to go and proclaim the gospel to every nation, less than one of you would go to that 1040 window for the purpose of finding unreached people groups. The rest of us would be going to places where there already is a Christian presence and doing good things. Those are all good, you know. Orphanages in Mexico, that's wonderful. That's kingdom stuff. And, you know, evangelizing on the streets of LA, those are all wonderful things. It's all part of the kingdom. But less than one out of 100 missionaries are actually going to where there is, um, where there is. and that gets into my next my next takeaway is that the need is urgent. The need is urgent. I was sort of gripped with, with that, just driving and seeing the, the profound spiritual poverty that is there. And um, John 4, let me, let me read this to you here. John chapter 4. Jesus is modeling his great commission right now. He goes to Samaria, a place that is not part of their culture, not part of their home. He intentionally goes out of his way to Samaria to engage with this one woman at the well. And after that, the woman believes and she go home, goes home and she says that many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So now he made a disciple. She then goes and she's an evangelist in her own hometown. Um, but he says, uh, he says that, so the disciples come back from town. They've been seeking food. They've been went, went to get some food in the water, and they come back, and um, you know, they, they want him to eat something. He says, I've already had food that you don't know about. You know? And he says this in 34. He says, my food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And he says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're right for harvest. And I, I, feel, I feel the emotion in his voice when he says that. You know, I feel like this, this, this emotion as he, as he sees this woman leaving his presence, 
radically changed because of the kingdom of God in her life. She's about to go and bring radical change to her community. Many are so ripe for the gospel that a simple testimony is going to change that city forever and change destinies and family trees forever. Jesus says one encounter at the well has catalyzed an entire city. Jesus says, you guys keep talking like the harvest is far away. Open your eyes. Don't you see what's happening here? The harvest is ripe. It's right in front of you, says Jesus. So I'm feeling that in my spirit, this like urgency in the hour, um, just that that the church of Jesus Christ globally um, can just engage with his heart for the lost, his heart for the unreached. Third takeaway is this. The resources are here. It's, it's, it's impossible to miss that when we go over, when Americans with our resources go over overseas. On the ride back, um, I was having a conversation with Daniel, one of our teammates, and he told me about an encounter. When, 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 they were, when I was doing a field trip to a village, they were part of the Great Commission. He was telling me this, this statistic, if I can find it here. Um, uh, bear with me. Here we go. He was telling me about Madan, a pastor in Nepal that he had, he had met. Madan has been a pastor. He's been 17 years in ministry in Nepal. Um, and by the way, many of these pastors would come from all over, all over the city. It was not an easy way. There's not there's not an easy way to go. Many of them had traveled 12, 15, 20. I met someone that traveled 40 hours by bus to get to this two-day Great Commission Summit. Madan is 17 years in ministry. He works in his village carrying rocks from the riverbed sort of up to the village for construction purposes. They'll use them for gravel or other things. And he earns 300 rupees a day. A rupee, uh, 300 rupees a day is about $2 and I want to say 75 cents. I spent 300 rupees on a latte and a donut many mornings during my time there, a day's wage. He earns 300 rupees a day carrying rock. He has visited 300 villages by foot. He's a pastor now. Visited 300 300 villages by foot. He shared the gospel with 26,000 people. He's brought nearly 2,000 people to the faith. He started 70 churches, which have in turn started other churches. And he's discipling 25 pastors underneath him. The cost per disciple, I don't have the statistics, but there's 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 a figure that we've come up with what we call the cost per disciple. In other words, the dollars that we spend in America to make one disciple. I remember from my church planning class days back 20 years ago, that average cost in America was like $1,200 or so. In the American church, we will, for every $1,200, we can probably say, you know what, here's a good disciple that we have created. In the 1040 window, that's probably less than $3 is what they're spending to make disciples. So the resources that we have here are staggering. That's not, that's not a guilt trip at all, I promise. This is not a call for us to sell everything and live on 285 a day. It's not. There's a reason that God has 
God has called the American church and blessed us with the wealth that we have. There's a, there's a, there's a purpose to that. He's called us to be stewards of what we have. Have I lost my mic altogether? Okay. Um, so I, I, I just I want to have in mind as I'm thinking through sort of my kingdom trajectory, my missions trajectory for myself and my church. It's simply not a matter of Lord Jesus bless those poor and reach people. It's also, okay, Lord, we have a lot of resources here. How do we invest our resources for kingdom purpose? And that's why guys like Daniel were going along. Daniel's not a pastor. You know, he's representing businessmen in, in Lexington who are thinking to themselves, how do we catalyze businesses and entrepreneurship for kingdom dollars so that the Great Commission can, can go? And it's amazing how little it takes. I was thinking to myself, how, how, what difference would it make for Madan? instead of traveling 300, 300 villages by foot to say, you know what, Madan, we've bought you a motorcycle. You want know it costs? Maybe $1,000. So the resources are here. And I think that's, that's one of the things that the, that the church has been learning in the last 20 years is, is that our, our mindset needs to shift from us going and doing all the kingdom things there on site as it is equipping nationals to do these things, train and equip and provide resources that they need so that they can do kingdom work. It's a beautiful, beautiful shift. Um, so that's, that's one. Uh, number four thing I learned is that everyone can play. Everyone can play. What that means is that there is, there is a role for every believer in the church to engage with the Great Commission. And I want us to, 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 to not allow this to be about Nepal or about the 1040 window or about going somewhere far away as it is. If we have a Great Commission mindset, that's a next door mindset. That means every single one of us has both the privilege of being, mission, of being missional and the obligation of being missional. We're commanded to do this. It's not an option. We're called by Jesus to do this. He's modeled it. He said to do it. This is an act of obedience. If we don't do it, we're going to be held accountable. He's going to come. He's going to say, did you carry out Matthew 28, 18? King's Church, tell me how you are a Great Commission church. So everyone can play. Not everyone can go. But everyone can be great commission minded. We can pray. We can certainly pray. We're going to do that here this morning. You know, we can give towards this. We can. We can. Uh, we. You know, we can. We can. We. Many of us can go. Many of us will have opportunities to go in, in the seasons to come overseas. We can go next door. We can engage. You know, the gospel. Katie was telling me this morning about she brought some baskets back from the Paul. They're now in downtown Lexington in a coffee shop. That coffee shop was filled up with people, overflowing from some country concert last night. And this is wall to wall. People looking at these, hey, what's this is a cool thing? What's the deal with Nepal? And Katie's like, well, let me tell you about it. This is great commission opportunities right here, right next door. You know, so it's like everyone, everyone gets to play. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, fifth thing is this, is that praying churches are missions churches. We're going go to uh, go to Luke 10. Luke chapter 10. Some of, our, um, some of our people, Jerry and, 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 and um, Jim, I think you guys are going to something this afternoon. There's a, there's a graveyard in Jessamyn County, a Moravian cemetery in Jessamyn County. Tell me about it. Um, if you don't know the story of the Moravians, it's, it's a powerful thing. And uh, 
But if you haven't heard about it by now, we're not doing our job, Chuck. <laughs> we, need to be, we need to be hammering this. This is a, the Moravians were, were a sort of a, a group of believers in Germany in the 18th century. Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf was a man, a young man of means, a young man of nobility. He said no to nobility, and he said yes to the Lord and to the kingdom. And he used his resources to gather and to create this gathering place called Hernhut, sort of a gathering, a gathering commune, if you will, of, of, of these men who are hungry for the kingdom. And over a series of, they had such a fuel and a fire for the Lord that they began to pray night and day. A congregation of three to 500 of them began to pray night and day around the clock. You thought IHOP was something. IHOP's about 200, 300 years, you know, late to the game. Zinzendorf and the Moravians, they were doing this in the 1740s. Round the clock, night and day for 100 years. But here's what they found. They found that the more they stayed in the prayer room, the more they caught God's heart for missions. They couldn't get away from it. They couldn't escape it. They couldn't get away from it. The more that, the more that they're in this place of just weeping before the Lord, the more they're just burning with this sense of we've got to go. We've got to tell. They begin to ask, who do we go to? Who can we say to? And they would find out, you know, hey, you know what? We, there's, there's this group over here that's not heard the gospel. And hey, we're, you two boys, you guys are going to go. We're going to equip you. We're going to send you out. So these two lads would come up and they'd send them out to go do missions. They'd come back a year or two years later. And this, they would find that, the, that, that Hernhut was just a sending group, you know. And what happened is that over that period of, of decades, such a pattern evolved of prayer and missions and sending that it changed the landscape of Christianity. It was, it was, it would really was, it was the, it was the template for the modern missions movement. How they did missions is how we do missions today. And you can't have prayer without missions. You can't have missions without prayer. They're meant to go together. And that's why I believe back in 2018 when we were concepting this and asking the Lord, what does King's Church look like? He said, I want you to be three things. I want you to be a worshiping family. That's what we do right now. That's what we come together for. I also want you to be a prayer house. I want you to seek my face and have a fire of prayer that does not go out. He says, I also want you to be an apostolic mission. I want you to train and equip and send people out. And I'm just even more gripped with, with this here. Luke chapter 10. Musicians, come on up if you would. I'm going to land this plane here quickly and then we're going to move into some other, some other things. Luke chapter 10. So Jesus is, he's, 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 he's about to equip and release. That's what he does. I want, us to, I, I want us to be in this, in this mode, in this mindset that as followers of Jesus, his mission is our mission. And after this, this is Luke 10, 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Isn't that awesome? Jesus comes to get, not just the 12, by the way, get, get out of your mindset that it was only the 12 who had apostolic calling. Come on. It wasn't that at all. Yeah. 
city. He's like, all right, 12's not enough, guys. We've got a lot of cities. There's a lot of villages. Out. I need more. You 12, you go find another one. Come back. Okay, how many? We got 40. That's not enough. You guys go find another. Okay, we got, all right, we'll start with 72. He sends them out in two by two. Sends them out to ahead of him. Listen to this. Ahead of him to every place where he was about to go. So he didn't send them out there alone to do their own thing. He says, guys, I'm about to go to Bethsaida. Who's going to go to Bethsaida? I'm going to be there in three days. I want you to go ahead of me. Who's going to go? All right, I'll go. Me, me, me and my buddy, we're going to go. He said, all right, you guys go. And he gives them some more instructions about this. He said, here's what you do. Here's what, here's how, here's what you do. You take, you go in, you find a man of peace, speak peace over this house. Who's the next ones? Okay, you two, where are you guys going to go? Hey, we're going to go to, to Sidon. All right, you guys go. I want to be at Sidon in six days. Jesus is the one who is going, but he's sending us ahead to lay a foundation for this. It's his work, his mission, not ours. We don't have to do it. He told them this. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Stupid little story I'll tell you. I remember when we lived in Louisiana, some friends of ours at a church invited us to go pick blueberries. He's like, he's like, I know this place out in the country where there's like 10 rows of blueberry bushes and it's honor system. You just leave some money in the jar and pick all you want. I was like, I do like blueberries. Let's go. So we go and we get, get a five gallon bucket, just go and begin to pick them. Sun's up, it's hot. Take our time, I'd eat more than I would pick. Hands would be stained blue. Sun begins to set. It's a funny thing that happens to my heart. I begin to feel a little frantic. You ever feel frantic when you're picking fruit? There's just one more cluster right up there. I just gotta get it. The sun's going down. Oh, but there's one more, one more row, and I know there's some beautiful fruit right up there. Just can't leave all these ones. Megan was this way. He's like, Megan, come on. I'm like in the car honking at her. She's like, wait, one more. And like, it's dark. I'm turning the headlights on. She's picking more things. What if those were lives? What if those were souls? What if those were people? And Jesus says, guys, look, listen to me. The harvest is here. It's not coming. Don't get ready for the harvest. It's here. It's right here in front of us. There's a thousand trees with fruit on them and not enough people to go. We got people doing everything in the world but going. We got people out in the vineyard who are selling books on how to pick fruit. We got people out in the vineyard that are building better ladders so we can reach better fruit. We got people out in the vineyard that are, you know, selling comfortable shoes so that you can walk farther and pick better fruit. We got a thousand people doing everything but picking fruit. In the meantime, what's happening to the fruit? God forbid, it's rotting on the vine. It says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
ask the Lord of the harvest. The Bible says pray to the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest. To send out workers into his harvest field. Verse 3, go. Go, 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 go. Go, exclamation points, what it says in my Bible. It didn't say go get a seminary degree and go to missions conferences and wait until you feel like you're adequately prepared. Pray to Lord of the harvest and then go. Reminds me a lot of Isaiah chapter 6. I think that's meant to be a model of our encounters with the Lord. Isaiah encounters the Lord. We're meant to see the Lord, meant to encounter him. I see the Lord high and lifted up in the train of his robe, fills the temple. And he has this encounter with the Lord. He recognizes his own brokenness. He says, woe to me for I'm a man of unclean lips and among a people of unclean lips. And the, the, the presence of the Lord, the angel of the Lord comes and takes a coal from the fire. This purifying presence of the Lord comes and touches his and purifies his mouth. And then the next thing that you hear is this, the Lord speaking to himself out loud. Who will go for us? Who can I send? let's stand together we're going to do this I want us to pray I want us to pray together I want us to pray for for the people of Nepal which is to pray for Pastor James for Pastor Himlay for some of these other pastors and leaders for Madan for these 12 district leaders for these young adults that are ministering in their churches that are evangelizing left and right. I want us to pray that that Lexington will continue to grow into a strong, unified, sending city. It's happening. Beautiful things are happening in our city. Beautiful unity is happening in our city. It's incredible to see what's happening in our city in the prayer movement, in the unity movement, among all these other churches. Let's pray that the Lord will continue to hasten that and raise up more churches and raise up more people who will go. I'm so desperate to see the 18 to 30-year-old generation come alive in the city again. I want to see it. Meg and I and several other leaders are about to go to Kansas City to the Send here in a few weeks. We're going to see Arrowhead Stadium full, 75,000 young adults and teens encountering the Lord. I want that here. I want that here. Men and women, boys and girls who've gotten gripped with the vision of Jesus, a vision of the Lord and his heart for the lost. Ones who really will go, really will go to the ends of the earth, or next door, whatever God calls us to do. So we're going to pray right now. Just find a place to do that. Spread out a little bit. Let's find a place to do that. Let's just begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's lift our voices up. If you want to get with a couple other people, with your families, you can do that too. You know, whatever is a good posture for you to be in.
Let's just begin to call in the name of the Lord and ask him. Jesus says this, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more. and ask the Lord what role do you play in his great commission what role do you play what role can you play as families as husbands and wives as sons and daughters as grandmothers and grandfathers as teens I just keep having this picture. Just pray with me over this. Lord, if we really saw, I just, I keep seeing Lazarus. I keep seeing Lazarus. Father, you loved Lazarus. You loved him. And he died and he was buried. He was put aside in the grave and he was wrapped in the grave clothes. The grave clothes that we were talking about the last couple weeks that you took off yourself. But he was wrapped in the grave clothes. His eyes were covered, his ears were covered, his body was wrapped. It never hit me until the last couple days that like 100 pounds worth of, of other stuff that was wrapped into the grave cloths wrapped around him. And you called him out of the grave. And I keep thinking that song, Father, that we were singing earlier. And that what happens when you call us out of the grave? Do you stumble out or do you come running? What happened to Lazarus when he's laying there and you call him out? And he says, stand up, come on, stand up. And he comes running out. I can only imagine how quickly he's trying to like pull off the grave clothes, off his, the, the covering off his face so he could see. To uncover his nose, his mouth, and his ears, and he could speak. Lord, if you've taken us from people who are walking dead into your children, into, into another idea of having come out of the grave, Lord. And then I ask, Father, that we would rip off things that cover our eyes, Father, that we would be hungry for you to have eyes to see and a mouth that speaks. We would not be satisfied with the things that cover our eyes, that make us tired or foggy. We would not be satisfied with the things that fill lies or fill, fill just the world's desire for sleep in our ears. That our tongues would be hungry for living water. Lord, that you would awaken in us the same spirit you awoke out of the grave from Lazarus. As he stood and he stumbled out back into the light, Lord, would you wake us up this morning, Father? Lord, would you awaken a people that are hungry to share a testimony around the world, hungry to share a testimony down here at the gas station. Rip the grave clothes off our eyes, Lord. Some of us are still stumbling around and haven't had our eyes cleansed. Some of us are still stumbling around and we haven't taken things out of our ears that should be taken out of our ears. Father, I just pray for a heart of confession this morning, heart of repentance, Father, for what has been put in our mouth. We're reading a verse, a verse earlier this morning and it was talking about may our instrument be pure. Lord, my mouth is my instrument. I don't play anything. I don't see anything, sing anything. But I speak and some Father, sometimes my tongue gets ahead of me and so I confess, Father, that sometimes my instrument has not been kept holy for you. It has not been set apart to speak only truth. 
Lord, I pray for people whose eyes have been set apart to see things they shouldn't see. When we stand in those places and we have the memory of that in our head, how can we then go tell others about us coming out of the grave when we're still putting the grave clothes back on ourselves? Lord, awaken us, Father. Awaken our people, Father. Mm. May we all have a Lazarus story, Lord. Awaken in us the Lazarus story. Father, we just pray for your church, Jesus, all across the world, especially in the 1040 window. Father, we pray for the church here in Lexington, that God, that you would wake us up, Lord Jesus, not out of guilt, but out of love, that Father, we would recognize that Jesus, you endured the cross because of love, the joy set before you, a bride adorned in beauty, you withstood trials and tribulations and persecution and death. Jesus, we ask you to awaken our hearts in love, to propel us with the fire of your Holy Spirit in love, that God, we would shake off those grave clothes, that we would shake off the lethargy and the sleepiness, that Lord Jesus, that we would, like in Revelation 4, by eye salve, that our eyes would be opened, that Lord, that we are... We may be rich in so many things, but like the Laodicean church, so often we're actually miserable, naked, and blind, and wretched. But Lord Jesus, we want to come to you and buy wine without money, to buy communal wine and and to buy bread without cost, Father. We need you to come and fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with the oil of your heart and your Spirit, that we would be filled to overflowing so that we could spread the good news across the world. Jesus, I ask you for laborers this morning. Let's all, this is not, guys, we need to pray. Let's use our words this morning. Just, if you don't know what to say, just begin to ask the Lord to give you words to speak. Let's all pray. Listen, pray over top of me. Let's pray together. Let's not wait for someone to give you permission. The Lord has already given us permission to pray. He said, call out, cry out to the Lord of the harvest. It's not time for quiet uh, little whispering prayers, but let's raise our voices to the heavens right now. Jesus, we want you, Ekbalo, to send forth, to hurl forth laborers into the harvest field. The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Holy Spirit, we ask you to give us a spirit of the fear of the Lord, the spirit of conviction to fall on our hearts, that you would fill us with your love, fill us with desire for the nations, that Lord, the way we see the nations We see your children who need you, who need a word of God, who need the gospel, the good news. Father, we repent this morning for being ashamed of the gospel. We repent, Jesus, for hiding our light under a bushel, under a basket. You said if anyone would put their light on a table, it would lighten the whole room. Lord Jesus, we ask you right now, send us. Send us, oh God. Cry out, church. Don't stop. We're pressing in. This is warfare. This is warfare. Jesus, we say, send us. Let's all say it. Send us, oh Lord. Here in Kentucky, Father, we want to make a mark. We want to make a mark. Jesus, stir us up. 
stir us up, Father. Shake off the lethargy. Shake off the sleepiness. Every weight that hinders us, every weight of sin that is hindering us from moving out of this grave into this world, into this revelation of sending. Father, make us a sending church. Father, I just pray right now that you would even come and deliver us, save us from the things that are holding us back. From the things that are causing us to be introspective and selfish and self-seeking that we would pour out into the world around us. In Jesus' name. Yes, Father, we thank you, God, that your blood qualifies us. Your blood qualifies us. I just hear the enemy trying to say, well, uh, you could do it after you get this cleaned up. Like we, we have such excessive resources that we're like, oh, we need one more thing before we preach the gospel. We need one more thing or do one more thing before we go and love our neighbors. You don't need one more thing. If you have the gospel, if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. So Father, I ask, Lord, that we would remove our excuses, Father, and that we would just say, yes, here I am. Send me, send me in my street of Creekwood. Send me in my household. Send me in my neighborhood, in my business. Father, I ask that we would reorient our lives to you, Jesus. A boring and, and burdensome life is a life unyielded to you, Father. I ask that we would yield to you today, Jesus. We would say like Mary, let it be done to me according to your word. Jesus, we don't have to have the pedigree, the, the, the pastor's blessing that necessarily, we already have it. Lord, we just need Jesus. So Father, I just ask that we would remove this idea that, that we have to have something else before we go. God, I pray that we would just go because you're God and because you touched our lives, just like the woman at the well. If you knew the, the gift of God, you would have asked of me for a drink. The qualification is that you drink of him and then you serve the cup of cold water to your neighbor. Jesus, I pray that we would serve today. We would give drink to our neighbor, to the person standing in line at the grocery store, to our, wife, to our husband, to our wives, to our children, to our families, God, and, and the nations, Jesus. Father, let us, let us just go because of God. Let us go because of God. Let us go because of God. Let us go because of God, because he took us from darkness into the marvelous light. And there's people that don't know light yet. In Jesus' name. We're gonna to begin to worship the Lord, but I still feel like that there's several of us in the room that there's just like a, there's like a cork and then we're just plugged up. And I just want to invite you, if you feel like that, if you go, listen, I know, I, I, Peter said, um, for, forgive my unbelief, but he asked for faith. He said, God, I want to believe, forgive my unbelief. Some, otherwise, 
listen, I know what you're saying is true, but there's something like plugging me up and I need God to come do something I can't do of my own. And I just want to invite you to come up and pray. I feel like there's several of us. In fact, I believe it's just kind of King's Church. Like the Lord needs to uncork us. Um, So if that's you, can you come forward and let's just pray together as a community for the Lord to just uncork His Spirit so so He can pour out the wine of the new covenant on us. Because listen, if we're empty, we can't, you can't give what you don't have. Amen. Raise your hand if you feel like this resonates with you. Like, hey, you know what? I know this is true. I love Jesus, but I need to be refreshed with his spirit. It's true for me. Can we, can we come forward and just contend in prayer with, with together? Yeah. Amen. Exactly. Right now. Who wants to do that? Anybody, let's go. Like, come forward. I invite you forward. Because, listen, this is, as Brad said, the time is urgent. The need is great. But the Lord, Brad's talking about resources. You are the most precious resource in the kingdom of God. But if the enemy, you are untapped resource. You are like the land filled with oil and the Lord is ready to drill deep into you to overflow from inside of you his spirit into your neighbors and your friends and family around you but sometimes there's just this traffic in the spirit over top of our lives and souls and it's just like it's just confusion and and just battle and it's like God I know it's true but I just feel dry and, and numb and I want it but I don't really I believe but I don't believe God forgive my unbelief And what I'm praying for is today the Lord would just break into our hearts. So gather together two or three of people around you. Jesus said, out of your innermost being, he says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we ask you for the Holy Spirit. We ask you for Jesus, the evangelist. Holy Spirit, we cannot do this without you. We can't pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can't generate this in the flesh. Father, we need Holy Spirit to impart to us a spirit of zeal and boldness. We cry out right now for boldness. Acts chapter 2, upper room boldness that Father, you would fill us. This isn't about personality. This is about supernatural from the Spirit of God, boldness. Holy Spirit. Everyone, go ahead and if you put your hand right on your belly. Jesus said, whoever asks for the Spirit, he would give without measure. I don't care if you've been baptized in the Spirit for 35 years. You need continual times of renewal and refreshing. Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill us. Cry out, church. 
come on, let's get a little bit aggressive in the spirit. Let's not settle in on a Sunday morning to whisper quiet prayers. Let's cry out like the Moravians. Is there a Moravian cry in Lexington? Is there a Moravian cry in Lexington? Our forebears, our generation forebears from days of old cried out, sold themselves into slavery to reach the lost. Church, let's cry out, Jesus, we need you, Holy Spirit. We need your fire. We need your zeal. We need your boldness. Just say his name. Don't settle in to lethargy. Don't settle in to the nine to five droning, the nine to five rat race. Shake off the grave clothes. Shake off the lethargy. Holy Spirit, break us out. Break us out. Break off this flesh. Break us in to your spirit. You who have died in Christ, walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. Holy Spirit, we ask you, stir us up in your zeal. In Jesus' name. Let's worship him. speak.